Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Han Talks First, bringing you the latest and greatest Star Wars news weekly. Myself and guests will discuss some of the hottest topics in Star Wars and find out what makes this franchise so iconic. And today we're going to talk about something I've been really looking forward to talking about, and I was waiting for the right moment in particular to have a guest on where I could debate and discuss some of Star Wars' top controversies. So... Buckle in and get ready because we got some hot topics to discuss, some of which you might have had some controversy with in your own mind. So here we go with episode 43 of Han Talks First. That's right, everybody. Episode 43. We're back at Han Talks First. We are on season two of the podcast. It's been a full year. This is the second episode of season two. And for all of you that have listened for the past year and have been with us through the beginning of this journey, thank you so much for listening. And so glad to have you have stuck around this whole time and been with me on this journey. I am your host, Han, and this is the podcast you're looking for, for those of you who are just starting out with us. And like I said, today we're going to be talking about the top Star Wars controversies. And I got a special guest with me today. And his name is Dean. I've known Dean for a few years now. We met back in college and we kind of became friends after discovering our love, our mutual love for the Star Wars franchise. So I'm going to let him give you a little a bit of information about himself. And Dean, why don't you tell everyone about uh, your love for Star Wars, how you got into it, and your Star Wars story, and what you think makes Star Wars iconic. Hey guys, this is Dean. Um, so I've known Han for a while, as you said, and I've been a Star Wars fan since long as I can remember. Like when I was three or four, my dad kind of sat me down and watched, like had me watch the original trilogy back then. Um, so I, that was like back in 96 or 97 that I first watched Star Wars. Um then, so my Star Wars story is a little bit embarrassing. So I remember when Phantom Menace was coming out, episode one, um, which was 1999. And prior to that, like six months prior. Um, Wait a minute. You, you actually remember when it was like the hype for it when it was coming out? Yes. Oh, I'm so jealous. I wish <laughs> I could remember those days. Like, Sorry, go ahead. Uh, that's how much like I like Star Wars at such an early age. Um, That's awesome. Like so, I vividly remember just being I, I got terrified of seeing movies in movie theaters. Um, the movie that scared me out of the movie theaters, and this is why it's so embarrassing, was How the Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey. Um, it didn't scare me. It was the previews beforehand. There was some <laughs> preview that like it was. The speakers were up too loud. You got to keep in mind, I was like four or five at the oldest. Um, and there was a giant, it was like tr a tremor worm, flew at the screen, got really loud, bunch of teeth. Vividly remember it, so I was terrified to see movies in a movie theater for like the next half a year or more. <laughs> like terrified, like my parents going to get me to see them. 
I would keep in mind I was young, but I would like cry in front of the movie theater, and then we'd end up just not seeing the movie. Oh my God, you um, were traumatized. <laughs> exactly. So, Star Wars Episode One. I remember just seeing all the droids, Darth Maul, and then like all the characters we didn't know yet, but it was Star Wars still. So I wanted to see it. It was the first movie that my dad was able to convince me to kind of go see. But like I went in there looking like an abducted child because I was traumatized. <laughs> I had I had the ear the old earmuffs that they used to have in the nineties that would like the soundproof earmuffs that would like yeah. look like headsets now. I had that on. I had a blindfold, like I had a bandana wrapped oh around my, my eyes. God. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> like but then um, we're sitting there watching it, and like I'm over, to, I'm able to kind of hear everything. And slowly throughout the movie, I start pulling it down. Like the first thing I saw was the Droidekas are like shooting at Obi Wan and Qui Gon Jinn. And I'm like mm-hmm. pulling down the blindfold, and then eventually I had all of that off by the end of the movie. And then I was no longer scared of movies anymore. Keep in mind, I have to keep saying this. I was very young, <laughs> <laughs> but and this kind of gets me into what I think Star Wars means for a lot of people is it kind of gives that strength and hope Um, like gives you that phenomenon of there is always something bigger out there and that it it can encourage you to like come out of your shell in my opinion, because like when you and I first met, we didn't have much to talk about, but um, your friend and now my wife were our best friends and me and you just kind of hung in the back just let them do their thing. And then all of a sudden we realized we're Star Wars fans and then we became really good friends. Right. I think it was by like some kind of happenstance. Like one of us was wearing a shirt or something. Yeah. Hat. I don't know. But I, I just remember that that moment it like clicked and we were like, Oh, we, we have stuff to talk about. <laughs> There's a ton to talk about now. <laughs> and since then has been the main form of our relationship, which I'm proud of, <laughs> which I guess could also contribute to like what makes Star Wars iconic is like it forms relationships with people, you know, and like there's it people I w- would never have. Exactly. There's it, people it, I would it, never it, had. It, it can also destroy them if you're in my personal opinion. And I don't mean any offense to any of your listeners, but as long as you're not a truly stickler, picky Star Wars fan, it can build good friendships. Yeah, we we all know 100%. that there's bad Star Wars fans out there, and that's with any type of community there is. Though, let me just to jump on that. Let me ask you then: What do you consider? Like you hear the, all the time, you know, toxic fandom. Those people are toxic. Whatever the the bad Star Wars fans, whatever. Do you actually consider those types of people fans of the property? No, it's, no, no, not at all. It's kind of like. So I'm going to kind of switch the music here mm-hmm. um, because Linkin Park is a band that you, has a mass amount of fans. They're my favorite band. In the beginning, they had a different style of music than what they ended up as. Um, that showed them growing. Star Wars has to grow also just like music has to grow. Um, so the people that say I only like the early stuff, but I'm still a huge Linkin Park fan, if you can appreciate how they grew with everything, you're not a fan because you're not accepting how the, how the – that topic grew in general. Yeah. See, I agree with that 
hard ways. The um, there's, I mean, there's so many YouTubers or podcasters that cover the topic of Star Wars, and they mainly just each week or each day talk about the new thing that they hate about it, and then they consider themselves fans. And I don't, I don't consider that a part of the fandom either, especially that- even if they. We only like the original trilogy. That's Star Wars, and we're hardcore fans, like till the till the end. But you're right; it, it, the the property itself has to grow, and the you don't have to like everything thereafter. But consider yourself a fan of something means you can you can dislike something. For example, for me, it's the Last Jedi, but still appreciate where it's going to go, or you know, accept it as far as like the basics of the story, and just continue to support it there out. Yep. Completely agree with that. So speaking of the new star Wars umbrella, that is Disney and Lucasfilm. I, we talked a little earlier how we haven't really had a chance to talk about rise of Skywalker that much together. So now is the chance, I guess, first thoughts, when you walked out of the theater, what did you think? Like, what's the Rise of Skywalker? What it what spoke to you? Absolutely loved it. Every minute, I was on the edge of my seat. Um, the big thing that I had always talked to you about before was the one thing that's going to hurt the movie is if it's not three hours long. And what they go and do, they didn't make it three hours long, so it made it. <laughs> so like, because I I told you that numerous times. I like over text when I was um, out there visiting you and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know that I mentioned that probably a hundred times because like it just my my only issue with it at the end of the day is it's fast paced. It, it is too fast paced. I understand Star Wars has always been fast paced. It's always mm-hmm. been we're in this scene. We're in this scene. We're in this scene. This just felt like it was it didn't feel it didn't feel scene driven. It felt like it was one continuous storyline, which Star Wars is supposed to take place over years um, and then in the sequels, they didn't really take place over years. So it was kind of like, this is what's going on in this one movie. And I think that we'll, we'll talk about that a little later, I think. Um, and my views on that, but it felt like they were just trying to tie it from end to end as a constant thread, rather than say, this is this thread, this is this thread and so forth. And that hurt it because it made that constant thread now Mm -hmm. choppy. And that's my own, that was my only true issue with it. I've seen it four five times at least now and to this day like yes you can nitpick things but overall i thought it was phenomenal at the end of the day i'm glad you said that because that was my first thought coming out of it too the we saw me and my girlfriend saw it at the chinese theater which is kind of symbolic because that's where the first star wars premiere ever was so it was real that we were very excited to go there to see it and it wasn't the atmosphere that made it a special viewing experience. It wasn't the fact that I love Star Wars. It wasn't uh, because I was disappointed in what happened with Episode Eight or that JJ was back. I just loved that sense of adventure. And while I was also a little distracted by how fast-paced and convoluted this story was, it there was something about just that that sense of adventure. And I guess it was fun, you know, it it was really fun. And if you don't focus too much on each 
each new uh, plot point or the lack thereof or like all these new threads, like you said, then uh, and you just focus on, I guess, the vagueness of the rise of Skywalker. It's really fun. But that that was the thing that bothered me the most was how fast paced it was. I remember walking out of the theater and then looking at my girlfriend being just like, I, I need to I, I need to see it again. I feel like I missed everything. And I thought it felt fast paced because of how excited I was. Like, you know, when you're excited for something and yeah. you're like, oh my gosh, time flew by. That's what I thought that experience was. And then I watched it again and I was like, no, this movie is really heckin' fast. <laughs> and I started to wonder why that could be. And some ideas I got were maybe it was because they edited on set or there wasn't enough time in the shoot schedule in, in general for production. And it felt rushed on set maybe. Um, and another or thing was maybe all they... those rumors were true. Which rumors? <laughs> like um, all the JJ cut rumors. Oh, right. That, that is also like, very interesting. Because I, I personally think because there's been reports that says JJ will never work with Disney again. And if yeah, that is, I've seen those. A, if that is a valid report, it makes those rumors a lot more, Valid as well. The validity of them could be true because JJ's friends said that he was angry throughout the whole thing um, towards the end. And it's just one of those things that, in my opinion, from the original rumors that were coming about um, Rise of Skywalker, was mm -hmm. it sounded phenomenal. Like, and I'm not even talking about the concept art and things like that because concept art doesn't mean anything when those people, when people got the um, previous director's concept art and that leaked. I was just kind of sitting there. That doesn't make it a good movie if it, if the concept art looks cool. But right. I, I kind of I kind of feel like JJ wanted the dagger to mean more. And you probably know exactly where I'm going with that. Um, I I I wanted to see more of the vision of Dark Ray. Like I feel like yep. some of the things that came out in the rumored um, JJ um, cut, I feel mm -hmm. like it would have been. I feel like it would have been that three hours that I was asking for. I think that what we got was, I don't think it was as drastic difference of like, here's the JJ cut completely different from the Disney cut. Um, I think they're a lot closer. I just feel like the missing 45 minutes in that movie were in the JJ cut. And it if was that, probably just all exposition. Exactly. And the, that's probably the thing that was missing from this is just more exposition, a little bit more time to breathe not so much characters explaining thing very thoroughly, but just taking a little bit of time in between these major uh, movements and plot and just like just taking a second to breathe. And we're actually going to talk a little bit more about this JJ cut theory because it has to do with some of the controversy topics uh, that we'll talk about in our main topic section. So hang on to those about the JJ cut and we're going to jump back to it because I have some possible evidence that you know, that theory could be true. Um, so I, one more thing before we move on with uh, The Rise of Skywalker. How do you think, you know, now that it's out, we've had time to watch it many times and sit with it. How do you think it? this movie reflects this trilogy and this saga as a whole? I think it did a nice job. Um, but I feel like part of that, and this is one thing that Disney needs to work on as well, is they're expecting the books to kind of fill in for the movies. Oh, but, I hate that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, I know that we'll 
get to talk about that later too. But um, like I, I think it did do a nice conclusion. It put a nice bow on the end of it. Um, now I don't think the Skywalker saga is truly done. I'm expecting episode 10, 11, 12 still because the ending. And I thoroughly enjoyed the ending, but the mm-hmm. ending. Because it, it, it gave me the Marvel feel. And especially since Disney owns Marvel, and we can kind of look at that conglomerate of a template they have that is proven success. Yeah. They, they can easily just say, and we've completed phase, like, um, wow, why am I forgetting? Thanos, there we go. I want to say Thor, and I knew that wasn't the answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> here's Phase Thanos, and then Phase Thanos wrapped up, and then it's not—it's not like Marvel's done. Right. It—it's it, still going to go on. They can easily bring people back with AI and things like that. Like if they really wanted to, there's going to be another guy after Thanos. They can easily say that the episode one through nine actually wasn't the Skywalker saga. At the end of the day, it could easily say it's the Palpatine saga. And then now we're done there. Kind of like another thing that does this is Kingdom Hearts. Um, I don't know if you're Kingdom Hearts fan, but the first three games, they said that it's the end of that trilogy, which is correct. It's the end of the Xenonort trilogy. But then at the end of Kingdom Hearts 3, it was like, oh, here's a new villain that we don't know who it is. Oh, you're right. So it's very smart. it, It doesn't mean it's done. So and then. Daisy Ridley is signed on for how many years? <laughs> like, she, we're going to see Ray again, whether it's a spinoff or episode 10. They may completely rename the um, how they do the episoding. But right. in my opinion, I think it tied, in my opinion, the Palpatine saga. I'm not going to say Skywalker saga. <laughs> it, it tied the Palpatine saga to an end very well. I just wish that Palpatine was more in that the sequels than he was. I, I totally agree. And what you said about how you don't think it's over, you know, waiting for 10, 11, 12, I, I think it's coming as well, but I just can't wait for the memes whenever they announce, you know, episode 10 is coming and then all the memes are going to be like, Oh, Palpatine's back. How did he come back this time? You know, everyone's <laughs> just going to be like, it's another Palpatine clone or whatever. So that's, that's the challenge they have to face is, you know, how, how See, are we going to, you know, not- that's when they need to go with legends. And they need to do the outer oh, room yeah. stuff. That that's where they need to go feed off of that. And then, as we've all heard, Kathleen Kennedy is probably retiring soon, and we know exactly who's going to be taking the helm. And there's no doubt in my mind that if Disney does anything different than Filoni, I I, I may be done watching Star Wars stuff for a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> and uh, that's, a just, that's a lot. That's a lot. But like, I, right. I'm just happy he's getting involved in the live action now, which is what everybody's kind of wanted. Yeah. Well, he still has some, some, uh, you know, he still got to stretch his legs a little bit and get familiar with it. But I think it, his storytelling could, um, with that capability, he, he's going to do great things eventually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I, what I think about, um, the end of the, the saga and the trilogy, um, I really, I really thought of it as the ultimate good versus the ultimate evil. The ultimate good being the Skywalkers, the ultimate evil being the Palpatines. And I thought it was nice how they made Rey a Palpatine. I actually enjoyed that. And just making it about the ultimate good versus ultimate evil. And while it, the last Skywalker film ended with mainly being about Palpatine, um, you're right, I, which I never really agreed with the ending title, The Rise of Skywalker. <clears throat> 
But I, I just like the fact that um, it was about these two families that represented the entire galaxy. One represented hope and one represented, I guess you could say, order or just uh, like being stationary and uh, not really growing. And the growth was the light side of the force and being a Skywalker and getting out from that yep. first order style of taking over the world. So with the, with the Skywalker saga quote unquote over, as they say, how do you see one thing yeah. before we move on? I do think that they, like just the naming of it, because I know that I joked with you about how I wanted them to name it where it completes the sentence. Um, mm-hmm. I do think the name completes the whole saga, though, because I know that the saga is a story of Anakin. But if you look at it, you can, and I'm sure that you've seen this before also, you can easily take episode one, Phantom Menace, put it in episode nine's place, and put episode nine's title, The Rise of Skywalker, in episode one's place. I think it's trying uh, to tie uh, it into a perfect loop. I, th- I think uh, that's I what made that. them pick that, just because those names are interchangeable, in my opinion. Like, you get the start of The Phantom Menace, and you get The Rise of Skywalker. You see both at the beginning and the end, basically the Alpha and the Omega. When you put it that way, I've changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's my that's my thought behind it. Because like, And I didn't come up with that. Like, the thing that I did come up with was The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and I was hoping to do what? But then we right. got – then it just went out the window. Like, I was hoping <laughs> that they were going to make that, but – I think that's, in my opinion, at least that's why I like to rat. That's the way I'm going to rationalize it. Just like <laughs> um, the few things that I've rationalized with the Last Jedi, um, like that's the way I rationalize. Is it makes a perfect infinity loop almost. Well, I'm going to um, refer you to work for Lucasfilm <laughs> naming titles of movies, and um, so get your application ready. But I do like that derivation of the titles of each <clears throat> episode. So yeah, with it, with the Skywalker saga over where, where do you think we're going to go? What would you like to see in the future of the franchise? For me, um, I would, I know it's, there's a lot of rumor and it's very popular now to do heavy TV formatted entertainment and for streaming and for, for television, both. I've never really been a fan of television. I, do love the Mandalorian and I do love Clone Wars, Rebels, Resistance, all that. Um, but I am definitely a movie guy. So one thing I would like to see most development take place is in theatrical film releases. Even if it's, I don't want a film released on Disney plus as its premiere. I want the movie theater experience. And that's my favorite part about enjoying the star Wars story in general. So for me, it's just focusing on the movies. There's tons of books. There's always going to be books. Games are nice. I enjoy the role-playing aspect of it. But for me, I just, I need to see, I would like their main focus to be development in feature-length films for the movie theater. What about you? I'm going to agree, but it makes it tough because I would always be in agreement with that because the leaked footage of, I think it was, Star Wars Underground or whatever George Lucas' live TV show was, that looked the awful. Underworld. Underworld, thank you. Oh, yeah. Um, Do you think that was real? I, I don't know. <laughs> it <laughs> like, looked so bad. I didn't think I, it was real. But uh, so 
I'll, I'll bring this up in the controversies. I, I, I know that you sent me a small list. Add thoughts on George Lucas. Because I have some, <laughs> okay. I, I have some different thoughts than a lot of Star Wars fans have. Um, okay. Like, I know that, like, other Star Wars places, they think that he's got a bunch of ideas, but I, I agree with that. But there's some things I can use to tear down as well, so let's... <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll come throw it in our honorable mentions. Um, so, I, I'm the Mandalorian changed my views though. Just a hundred percent changed my views on do I need Star Wars to be in a theater? Like I love sitting there. I love the atmosphere. I love the fans. There's nothing better than going to a Star Wars movie. Even here in North Carolina, when you go to a premiere. People are dressed up um, as much as theaters will let you get away with. Um, at least when The Force Awakens comes out, when the movie first started, everybody had their lightsabers lit up and holding them in the air. Like, th- there's there's nothing better than a launch day of a Star Wars movie. It's like Christmas, basically. Um, and then when it comes to the TV show, though, like, I felt like the story was so clear and concise Mandalorian. And they because they had that extra time. So, like, it's tough because I, I also am always going to lean towards how can I get more Star Wars? And can I get 10 hours of Star Wars for through Disney Plus? Or can I get three hours um, once a year versus 10 hours once a year? I, I'm gonna kind of lean towards if the production is always like Mandalorian, and with things coming out about Mandalorian and Ahsoka being in there, they're going to feed into my fanfare where I may end up preferring the TV shows. So, do you think that? Okay, so on that subject, I I believe that the television is a great source for character analysis and just character uh, deep analysis. And then the movies are more focused for um, creating great stories. So worlds, um, exposition. But I've always thought television is more for uh, focus on characters. So are you more of a character guy and you want to know more about characters than I guess, I, I, a bigger story? I prefer, I, I prefer both, but I want to feel for the characters. And that's where the sequels lacked. They, they expected the characters to be built off screen. They expected us to go read the books, read the comics and things like that to truly feel attached to these characters. You're Luke, absolutely right. Luke, Leia, Han, even in the prequels, um, Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon, Anakin, and so forth, Mace Windu with little screen time that he had in the grand scheme of um, the prequels, we learned those characters. We understood what they stood for, what they meant. Um, they didn't give us enough insight to Ray. The book did about um, the Rise of Skywalker because Ray was seriously considering becoming the Empress. Um, in the book, like there was a solid paragraph to page that she was seriously considering being the Empress. I didn't feel that. I, like in the movie, I just saw it for. She's not going to do that. Like she's, she's an angel kind of deal. Like in, yeah, I, I actually felt the dilemmas of Luke when 
he was about to strike down the emperor. I felt the dilemmas. I felt those. They they built the story and the characters. The the trio felt like they were true best friends in each one of those. Um, even though in the prequels there was kind of a trio, kind of wasn't. That's arguable because they weren't always together like um, the originals. But that that, that was my. That's why I'm kind of leaning towards TV shows because they they. Let's look at Star Wars Rebels. They made you feel for Phoenix Squadron every episode. And yeah. yet you had the grand overall story as well. The TV shows are doing more of what the originals used to do and the prequels did. And I'm putting prequels kind of loosely there. But mm-hmm. then what the sequels could do. Now, I enjoyed the sequels more than the prequels, just to say that. But it's that, that's why I lean towards I'm almost feeling TV shows. Just because you do get that both, but you don't get the atmosphere. That and I, I 100% agree with you that I, I don't like. I need that atmosphere. Like, it, there's nothing better. So either way, it's all it's all just discipline, right? It's just discipline yeah. and moderation in hand in hand. You know, if you're gonna make a TV show about the Mandalorian, then we need to stick to a TV show. Uh, we shouldn't have a book explain his inner thoughts when he's on when he's meeting um, Cara Dune for the first time, right? Yep. So uh, so moderation where you don't want to just shove everything into one episode and like just overload everybody, you know, leave it open for some interpretation and stuff. But just that's your discipline. If, it, if you're going to make a show about The Mandalorian, it's just going to be a TV show. We're not going to be, hey, go play this game to figure out what he did in between episode four and five. You know, it's... Yep. <laughs> but what about games? Did you have anything to say on games? For games, since you know I'm a big gamer, um, take Star Wars away from EA. <laughs> <laughs> I should have seen that coming. Um, I, I don't get me wrong. Fallen Order was fantastic. I loved that game. Like I, like I think you and I did the same thing. Um, we went both went to the Dothmere, thinking that's where we like because they let us go to either one, and then I left like more power than I should have been because I went through and exactly. beat everything and done. <laughs> but then, um, and then yeah, there's the brothers and the sisters. They well, you never really had to fight the sisters, but the brothers. When I first went there, they kicked my butt. But um, me too. I, I I don't like that EA. The company that has come to deserve so much hate, I know that they're trying to fix it. At least Fallen Order made me feel like they are. But a company obsessed with microtransactions shouldn't be the only people that can release a Star Wars game. Um, like, or publish. So, And I feel like Disney's trying to break away from that a little bit. because um, Have you heard of Limited Run Games? I think I've sent you a few of the links before. Yeah. Um, so what they've been doing is they somehow have reached an agreement with Disney where they can publish past games. Like, so like the Bounty Hunter game on PlayStation 2, um, like they made a physical version of it for PS4 and like made a collector's edition for it and all that kind of stuff. Like they're somehow putting together oh, old wow. games and releasing like, now it's limited copies and that's why it's limited run games, but they're releasing like 2,000 copies. But there's at least physical games. Like, I think they just, I just ordered this on Friday, but I think it was um, Dark Forces 1 and 2 on PC from the late 90s. Yeah. 
they just released um, those as a pre-order thing that you can go order. And that way you can play it on PC, et cetera. And, like, so I feel like Disney's trying to break away from it, but the best games, best Star Wars games ever, if you ask me, are um, the Squadron games. And those were made by Factor 5, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. And they were phenomenal. Like, they, they... they knew how to make a Star Wars dogfighting game better than no one. Um, it's give me an example. What titles are we talking about here? I'm not familiar with the company. Um, Road Squadron, um, back on 64 and PC. Then you had. You know, I think I had that one. Then you had Rebel Strike on GameCube, and then there was one more. I had it too. I can't think of it, but basically it was Road Squadron 1, 2, and 3. And those ones were just fantastic. I, Rebel Strike is when they started adding a little bit of lightsaber play. Not much, yeah. but a little. It was all about, like, the dog fights and actually flying and completing these um, tasks. They'd have a um, story tree where, like, break off where you'd act as Luke over here, then Wedge until his was playable. I know, <laughs> that one's a shock. <laughs> and you would break off and you'd go to Justice these missions for that Wedge. Wedge <laughs> I still can't believe Wedge was in The Rise of Skywalker. I know, I'm going back one. Just because he said he'd right? never do that again. I'm glad he did that. Well, you know, I just got um, the uh, Resistance Reborn novel. And he actually has a bigger role in this than, uh, obviously, The Rise of Skywalker. But it, like, sets up, like, why he's there and stuff. And as soon as I finish the book, I'm going to do a a review for all you listeners out there, but it's actually really good. It's really a Leia and Ray relationship story, but yeah, it's, it's kind of awkward to see wedge in the rise of Skywalker for me, at least right away. But reading the book, it, it establishes some of that exposition that we talked about earlier. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so star Wars is going to go on forever. We all know that it's not going anywhere, whether it's movies, games, TV, etc., And, um, you know we'll always be here to talk about it. So for now, I want to move on to the uh, the main topic, the top Star Wars controversies. Now, there's tons of controversies in Star Wars. One major recent one, a big one, is, I would say, the entire movie of The Last Jedi, which we're definitely going to talk about. But before we jump into the main ones, I want to give out some honorable mentions to a few that aren't really talked about too much, but I think are very important when talking about Star Wars. And the first one is how Star Wars built the foundation of filmmaking for its future. And what I mean by this is one of many things. Of course, special effects was a a big part of it. But also, something people don't think about is the movie credits. You know, before 70s, the traditional platform and suggestion by you know the unions and the guilds were that movie credits needed to be placed before uh, the movie started unless it was waived by that of the creator in Star Wars case it would be George Lucas so in 77 A New Hope came out and for one of the very first few times it didn't show opening credits uh, before the film started now it wasn't the first to do this the first was actually Apocalypse Now uh, which was directed by a friend of George Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola. Fun fact, George Lucas was actually supposed to be the original director of Apocalypse Now. 
Did you know that, Dean? No, I did not. So Coppola was always going to produce it, um, but he originally offered it to George before he took on the role himself. So I feel like George, the sensitive, you know, stressed out man that he is, would have totally lost his mind if he tried making that movie. So I'm, I'm glad he didn't accept it and decided to do Star Wars instead. But anyway, so when he made the movie, he decided he didn't want to put opening credits before <clears throat> the film because he wanted to start his movie off with the huge Star Wars logo and the music and then this opening crawl that sets up the story, which was unheard of at the time unless you were doing television. And that wasn't the original idea we all know. It was based off that um, – what was that show that he based it off of um, with the opening crawl? Oh, my God. I'm that I'm not even it. sure about. <laughs> anyway, so he wanted to just open his movie with that without having to rely on – um, establishing everyone's credits before the movie. So he decided to do that, but uh, didn't go about it with the proper guidelines. He was fined a bunch of money for doing that. Um, and he paid the fines because he's, you know, he respected that <laughs> he didn't go against the union's guidelines. But after shortly after that, he decided to leave the Directors Guild of America and decided to no longer be involved with, you know, that type of style of movie making because he didn't want to rely on that that format when making his future movies. So Star Wars being as popular and as big as it was, decide, a lot of people thereafter decided they wanted to do the same thing and not have to rely on opening credits to movies. So they started doing the same thing, paying the fines and just having all their movies just start off with the action and jump right into it. All of those movies thereafter, they did, of course, have to pay the fines as well because it still... the the guilds and the unions didn't approve necessarily. So they would charge the movies that did that. Now, what's interesting about this is after a new hope, he decided to make empire strikes back and following the same format of not putting the credits before the movie. It didn't really fly this time because he hired the director, Irvin Kirshner and Irvin Kirshner is a member of the DGA. And it was a very respected filmmaker at the time. And Irvin Kirchner couldn't just wave away the rights to move the credits from the front to the back of the movie. So the DGA fined George Lucas. I don't know the number, but fined him for that movie, which he paid, of course. But it wasn't until after that that he had to start to move all these Star Wars films to be a completely self-funded, independent film project. So it wasn't after Irvin Kirshner is when he brought in uh, Richard Marquand. Is that his name? I don't know. But it, George co-directed Return of the Jedi. That's all face the facts. And I just think that's very interesting that he kind of changed how we view the opening of movies from that point on. And everyone kind of copied that format. And today, there's not as many restrictions that state that you have to put the opening credits at the beginning of the film. It depends on which company is funding the project but now it's kind of changed and we don't expect to see opening credits anymore and it's funny now whenever i do see opening credits at the beginning of the movie i usually try and fast forward <laughs> to like whenever the <laughs> it jumps into the action because it's just That's not what i'm used part. to anymore <laughs> exactly all right the other things are going to be really quick for honorable mentions i i feel like this would be a good time to interject about my thoughts on george lucas though and george lucas mention. 
Yeah. Yes, I wrote that down. Don't worry. I want to mention okay. these two, and then we'll talk about that one. So one is um, they're both on the rise of Skywalker. One is that um, it was built in the promotion for the movie, and they kept talking about the rise of Skywalker is going to have a um, uh, LGBTQ plus representation, and they kept saying that, and they kept saying it and saying that, and then when it finally re- everyone got to the movie and they watched it, it was a same-sex kiss in the far background of a scene that wasn't really acknowledged that very well. And the controversy is, you know, it was it was built up so much, but it's like, what, why? What is was the reason? Like, did you do it just to appease the people that wanted that in the movie? Or did you do it to try and... Uh, was it done for the right reasons, I think is what I'm getting to. And I, I one, found it very weird... I felt like they put it in there just so they could say, hey, we support you guys. Like, it really didn't have anything to do with the story. Yes, it's cool to see representation, but at what cost? Like, if you're going to make a story about, um, if you want to show representation, I think you need to do it the correct way. For one example is Lando Calrissian. You know, they didn't just put a black person in the movie and say, hey, look, this guy's black. He's not like the rest of us. He was just a part of the story, and it represented him respectfully and honorably. Did you notice the same-sex kiss? Did you have any thoughts about it? It was like the fourth or fifth time that I actually finally noticed it. I, but I do think it's this also— so quick. I do also think it's um, one of those things that—it's another J.J. Cut thing. I think they truly wanted Poe and Finn, kind of. Um, Dude, I wanted Storm Pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted it so bad. Like, I, I kind of feel like there was supposed to be more. I, I really do. And then it was like, because they were bragging about the LGBTQ thing, like, yes. way back. Like, it wasn't, like, right before the movie. It was, like, before the movie went gold. Um, right. Before they said we are done and everything's wrapped up. Because I don't think they wrapped production and everything. Like, officially said it was gold until three weeks before the release date. I think I read that. I I think it was something ridiculously close where like typically a movie's done months in advance, not like, okay guys, we need to hurry up. Um, (laughs) So I'm like, I feel like it was supposed to be more because it wasn't even like, it wasn't necessarily true reports being released by the film team, but it was like the actors, actresses. um, I think JJ even talked on it and people around the project but it wasn't like Disney was bragging about it, like, come see this. So that kind of makes me feel like, again, it was taken out of his hands, if all that stuff is true. And Totally. So I kind of feel like there was supposed <clears throat> to be more. We just didn't get to see it because, heck, Solo had more LGBTQ-ish type stuff because I don't know how Robots falls into there, but <laughs> man, <laughs> like exactly. we know that's a thing. So but that was a little, like, did, did they just say that? Like I had to, like it didn't surprise me, but it did surprise me. <laughs> right, I'm right there with you. Um, there could be more, and maybe one day we'll get the JJ cut. The last thing in honorable mentions for me uh, still is in the Rise of Skywalker, and that's the, that's the ending shot of the Rise of Skywalker. Um, it's it was symbolic in '77. And in 2005, at the end of Revenge of the Sith, and now it's the same thing. In 2019, they did the same thing. They show the two twin setting suns and our hero out looking upon them. So 
what's interesting about this is if you remember leading up to the rise of Skywalker months, months before, I think it was summer, Kevin Smith got to visit the set and he, um, explained to everybody that they were making a big deal about not going into one of the studio, uh, one of the sound stages because it was the last shot of the movie and they didn't want to ruin it for him because, or they wanted him to go see it. But JJ was like, "Yeah, it's the last shot. You don't want to ruin it for yourself. It's epic. It's, it, it's extraordinary. It'll blow your mind. Right. He was bragging about visiting the set about that. And then the movie comes out and <clears throat> I remember watching it. And in the last couple minutes, you can tell it's the end of the movie. And I'm like, what's the last shot going to be? What's going to blow my mind. And it was just the twin setting suns. And I was like, oh, okay, I can see why that's a big deal. Didn't think much of it. Went about my life. And then it wasn't until a week or two weeks ago, I found this Twitter thread online. Maybe you've seen this, Dean. Maybe you haven't. But I found this very interesting. But it has to do with that JJ cut we were talking about. So apparently, it's rumored that that was not the original ending shot of the movie. And that they actually didn't even film scenes with Daisy Ridley looking out at a green screen or a sunset at all and that they recycled footage from earlier in the film and put it at the end of the movie with a new backdrop. And it, the, it's like, um, the scene where the very last shot where Daisy or where Ray is looking out at the suns is actually a recycled footage from when she was standing in the desert, looking out at Kylo's ship approaching her and somebody online went rotoscoped that shot of her out and placed it over that of Ray in the last shot. And it was the exact same positioning, except it was flipped vertically, but it's the same shot of Ray and other evidence to back this up is that in the last scene, the rise of Skywalker, when she's going through the, uh, Lars homestead, she has a backpack on and in the shot where she's looking at the suns, the backpack is gone. So it, it leads a lot of people to believe that that wasn't the original ending for the film. And what could the original ending be? This is a new controversy, but something I thought was worth mentioning. Have you heard about this at all, Dean? Yes, um, I have. And this is something that it's back to that JJ cut. Like, I feel yeah. like that's going to be a recurring thing whenever we talk about the rise of Skywalker is the JJ cut because Kevin Smith, he's, he's a nerd just like we are. Like he's, He's a fanboy. He's he's not going to go around saying something like that was mind melting because he did use the words mind melting. So part yeah. of me is like, I kind of feel like it was supposed to be a cliffhanger. I feel like it was supposed to be like, yes, she was supposed to end up on Tatooine at the end, but then looks over and sees, I can't remember the Outer Rim creatures and legends names, but looks over, sees that, um, just something or just as simple as Palpatine's cloning tanks. Mm, yeah. Like, because I remember I, I saw something that was funny ish, like uh, from camera, which YouTube channel it was, they were like, this one person's theory was that the end was going to be Ray was a clone, basically star killer. And basically it was just going to be a bunch of like, <clears throat> almost like you hang your clothes up. It was just a bunch of rays hung up. Like that. <laughs> it was like interesting, um, but kind of like Palpatine, like, and that would be how he comes back. But I truly think like, this is where I'm going to quote Kylo, let the past die. Um, like Palpatine's got to be done. You got to move on to something else. Yeah. Um, I haven't not finished the Kylo Ren comics yet, so I don't know how the Knights of Ren actually 
end up um, because there was the one, they're all Force-sensitive. Um, there was the one that was strong with the Force and with the lightsaber. Um, have not finished the comics yet, so I don't know how that ends or if he's still alive or anything. Have them actually next to me right now where that's what I was doing before was <laughs> starting to get all that stuff ready. Um, so if he's still alive, and don't spoil it for me if you've read them, um, if he's still alive, I kind of feel like we could go down the Knights of um, Ren path and that be the new ominous dark side stuff. Totally. On. Totally. Because they are Sith worshippers. They're not Sith, but they are Sith worshippers. As you were talking about the whole Ray, like tons of Rays hung up, uh, clones <laughs> of Rays, whatever, it made me think, what if the ending scene originally was supposed to be Ray? She buries the lightsabers, she goes back inside, and she finds this lever, the secret lever, and she flips it, and this door opens in the <laughs> homestead. And then she walks in, and she sees all those rays. And then behind, like, a curtain appears Owen Lars. And he was behind the whole thing the whole time. And that's and that's the end of the movie. And then the next series will be and, and the Lars saga. He made a mannequin yes. that threw out the skeletons and set them on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you just hear Aunt Maru locked in the basement. Look, look. That'd be so great. Anyway, (laughs) that was mine for honorable mentions. I want to hear what you have to say about George Lucas. Uh, So, and I feel like what I'm saying isn't completely absurd. But so let me first off, like, ask this question before I go too far with it. What movie is universally considered the best Star Wars movie? Uh, Empire. And who did not direct that movie? Uh, <laughs> Christopher Nolan. <laughs> George Lucas. And when we start ranking Star Wars movies, where George Lucas is usually least involved, it's the higher on the list they go typically. George yeah. Lucas has the mindset of a great storyteller. Mm-hmm. He is an awful director. If we didn't, and then also in Return of the Jedi, because episode four and five were clearly meant for adults, um, developed minds. It wasn't meant for kids. Like, yes, it had the kid aspect somewhat to it in four and five, but it, it wasn't meant for kids. Six, all of a sudden it became kid friendly. It was aimed at kids. Ewoks were thrown in there. Um, I don't know if, George Lucas has kids, right? I don't know if his yes. kids became old enough at that point to kind of be interested into it. I can't remember their ages and how all that lines together. But all of a sudden, there was a clear difference where all of a sudden, let's make kids happy, Ewoks, and all family-friendly and things like that. And then we right. go to the prequels. Now we have Jar Jar. The only thing that wasn't kids-related in the prequels was Padme getting killed. And Clone Wars is a whole movie, or not Clone Wars, sorry. Attack of the Clones is a whole movie because that put kids to sleep. (laughs) But, like, everything about Star Wars became kid-related after Episode 6. It was not meant for adolescents and grown-ups. It became undeveloped minds can enjoy it just as much, which I don't have an issue with. But I enjoyed them when I was so young as well, Episode 4 and 5. I still enjoyed them, but then all of a sudden, as I got older, it it just kind of 
some of those kid things lost their appeal. Like, and I feel like he was focusing too much on, I know personal life always is going to kind of navigate you, which is completely understandable. But he just got obsessed with green screen. He got obsessed with all that stuff. So it's just one of those things that he's an awful director. Like, great storyteller. Like, fantastic. There's a reason why he had to be consulted on for The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> but as a director, he is just like um, Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. You were ta- Like, I was trying to bite my tongue then when you were talking about that. <laughs> because <laughs> it's a good thing he didn't, because that would have been a bad movie then. Yeah. In my personal opinion, it would have ended up a bad movie. Like, yeah, it's just when it comes to Star Wars Saga, we all say the best movie wasn't even directed by the creator. You're right. You make a lot of good points. And um, it could be that uh, his movies and his the entire vision for the saga film, for the saga, for all the Star Wars movies, could be the fact that his life around him had changed. Like he went after Empire, he had started to have children and wanted to make the, kid, the movies more kid-friendly and therefore stated that they were all four kids. So uh, you might be onto something there, and I, I do agree with a lot of your points. So with that... All out of the way, the honorable mentions. We're going to move into the main controversies, the top controversies in Star Wars. And we're going to start off with the big one from The Phantom Menace. It's what changed everything and made people say, George Lucas raped my childhood. And that is midi-chlorians. So midi-chlorians were microscopic, intelligent life forms that originated from the foundation of life in the center of the galaxy. And ultimately, it resided within the cells of all living organisms, as said by Qui-Gon Jinn. Therefore, it forms a symbiotic relationship with their hosts. Now, the Force spoke through midichlorians, and it allows certain beings to use the Force if they were sensitive enough to use its powers. And in order to gauge an individual's potential in the Force, blood tests were used to estimate the number of midichlorians within the subject's cells. Now, Anakin Skywalker, the chosen one, possessed the highest known count in galactic history of over 20,000 midichlorians, surpassing the potential of all the Jedi, including Yoda. So we're going to talk about what the hell midichlorians are, what its biology is, and why the fuck this is a thing now. (laughs) When you first heard about midichlorians, what... I mean, we were kids, of course, but like, yeah. now that you think about it, like, how how do you feel about midichlorians? Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> One word, stupid. Um, so, <laughs> so for me, it's and that's the, the end of the podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, so one of the problems that I have with it is throughout the originals like the force and i know legends aren't canon anymore but they were kind of considered canon like in in earlier times um like lucas even got behind some of them and like basically said yes this is what i envisioned um i think he even helped publish some comic books and books as well so so he he had his clear vision that he wanted and legends members were saying yes and that was all before um, the prequels. Part of the problem that I have with them is just like 
in those legends, in the originals, the Force is just something that you you're you're either you have it or you don't. It's not you have these little things in your blood cells that like make you be able to do this. <laughs> <laughs> like like it's it was just like I don't want to say magic, but it was just the force is always around you. It's just more so can you interact with it? I don't like that they made it something <laughs> where all of a sudden now you have to have something special. And then now yeah. you can after that. Are you telling me I can go get a blood transfusion and then now I'm force sensitive? Oh, yeah. That's stupid. Smart. That's really stupid because Metachlorians also like the whole thing in Legends was it is hard to clone a force user. If you can just, if they're blood based, you can just kind of do this. And then next thing, you know, like in episode 10, mark my words, if we're going to go back to Metachlorians, you're going to have the old Dragon Ball Z thing. And it's going to be, <laughs> he has over 9,000. <laughs> um, but like, I, yeah. Dude, you're absolutely just... right. <laughs> Trying to make the Force make sense really wasn't necessary. I think that's why people really loved the Force to begin with, is because it yeah. didn't make sense. And I think one way to look at midichlorians is that, you know, it's it's almost like looking at religion, for example. You know, everyone can believe in a god, but there's different ways to follow it. So in my the way I accept midichlorians is that back in the prequel days, people like Qui Gon Jinn, they folk they thought their religion of the force was their theory on midichlorians it doesn't have to be true but then back in like the original trilogy days it's on this idea that it was just this cosmic uh binding energy field and it wasn't these little microscopic beings which always confused me is it is it, are midichlorians is it a species that's what i don't understand like he says they're little you know things inside your blood but does that mean we could have a whole Star Wars story based on midichlorian. That, that, that's why I'm saying, like, if it's in your blood, transfusions, things like that, it's basically like, now, don't mean to sound bad when I say this, but it's it's a lot like all Jedi have type 1 diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> think about it, though. They're basically doing a little pinprick, and it's just like, get this tested. <laughs> Don't eat too much chocolate cake or you'll need more <laughs> insulin. The midichlorian insulin. So, yeah, that's so that, that's just, yeah, midichlorians. Maybe, <laughs> maybe going back to my previous controversy about Lord, um, Lucas is a fantastic storyteller. Yeah. Most, we'll change that to most of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> You're absolutely right. So, anyway, what do you guys think about midichlorians? I mean, do you. Is it just is it funny to look back and laugh on, or do you actually like? Is it a, did George Lucas rape your childhood because of it? So it's, that's midichlorians. Yeah, it's, it's just stupid. It's I don't just even, stupid. It's just part of it. Is kind of the way that I view it. Debunked here on Han Talks First. <laughs> Speaking of Han Talks First, ever wondered how I got the name for this podcast? Well, guys, I'm about to tell you. It's because of this little thing called Han Shot First. I know I'm wasting a bunch of your time by telling you where the name came from, but let's talk a little bit about it because it's one of the biggest controversies in Star Wars. So back in the original version of that scene where <clears throat> Han and Greedo are confronting each other, Han shoots Greedo dead. Later, versions are edited so that Greedo attempts to fire at Han first. 
And George Lucas himself altered the scene to give Solo more justification for acting in self-defense, and many fans and commentators oppose the change, feeling that it weakens Solo's characters. Now, George Lucas has spoken on this many, many times, and so have the fans. I'm here to tell you that... Well, I'm going to read some quotes from George Lucas from different time periods <laughs> about how he views about this scene, because he's changed it so many times, and... Even to this day, it's still changing, which kind of blows my mind. Disney changed so, it now. So, first of all, Dean, for me, I just didn't approve of the changes to begin with. I didn't see any reason why. I'll read you a quote from George why he did it. But um, what uh, what is your overall thought on Han Shot First slash McClunky? <laughs> Han Shot First, simple as that. But it's one of Amen. those things that it's I, I get Lucas's standpoint of good guys don't do that, um, which I'm sure that's the quote you may be going for um, or the thing where it's like a paragraph about that. But then at the same time, it's like it, it's it's that episode six change that going back to that, like <laughs> he went child friendly and it hurt. Right. I know that's very short. <laughs> no, that's 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 exactly right. That's probably what influenced the change most of all. And in 2004, <clears throat> he told The Hollywood Reporter, to me, the original movie doesn't exist anymore, and I'm sorry that you saw a half-completed film and fell in love with it, but I want it to be the way I want it to be. And that was all he said about the change to begin with. In 2012, people continue to ask him about it, and he spoke on it again. And he said, The controversy over who shot first, Greedo or Han Solo, in episode four, what I did was try to clean up the confusion, but obviously it upset people because they wanted Solo to be a cold-blooded killer. But he actually isn't. It had been done in all close-ups, and it was confusing about who did what to whom. I put a little wider shot in there that made it clear that Greedo is the one who shot first, but everyone wanted to think that Han shot first because they wanted to think that he's actually someone who would just gun him down. Now, this quote speaks screams to me because he's changing his mind. He's changing the story. He's making it sound like, oh, it was always this way. You just didn't, we just didn't have the camera shots in there. So, and he just said, like, I don't know, ten year, a couple years ago that he was like, I changed it because I wanted it to be the movie I wanted it to be now not the movie I wanted it to be then. So it just goes to show that this guy has a problem with the scene. And it's not that it wanted to be one way or the other, because actually the actor who played Greedo, Paul something, I apologize, guys, I can't remember his name. He actually said in the original script, it said Han shoots Greedo dead. <laughs> it didn't say Greedo shoots at all. That was added in later. So it was the original version. So you can read any quote you want to from George Lucas, but he changed it for reasons unknown. The last quote I have from him was in 2015. And he says, uh, let's see, where is it here? Let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Let's see. see, we just need more rocks and more CGI animals. Um, <laughs> you know what? And then we also just, yeah, like, we, we also, because I, I want to add this controversy just because it's all in that basically that first mm -hmm. part scene, Luke, Obi-Wan, and Han meet. Jabba originally was a, like, we, we only heard his name originally. It made him more right. fearful to think about. 
And then all of a sudden you just add this giant fat slug there and very poor CGI at that. I know that back then it was probably top notch, but today it's just kind of like, yeah, that's so realistic. Um, God, it's so terrible. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it being the kind of the um, ship hanger person that said job is looking for you and he's after you. I enjoyed that yeah. more because it kind of made me wonder, are we going to see Java in this movie at that time? Or are we ever going to learn about who this Java is rather than now it's just Java talking to him with subtitles. And then now it's not that fearful because it's just like Java's after him, but he's right there. Gra- grab him, get one of your bounty hunters to do something. Exactly. A hundred percent. So I can't find the quote from 2015, but I remember paraphrasing here. He said, if the speaking, thinking of a myth- mythological standpoint, I wanted to change it because Han Solo was going to marry Princess Leia. And in order to do that, she wouldn't marry some coldless, heartless, uh, bloodthirsty killer. She would marry someone who is who shoots only in defense. That's uh, a paraphrasing, but that was his last attempt to defend this change. And now, today, we have Disney Plus version <laughs> with a little McClunky added in there. And I find it fascinating that to this day... He's he's not in charge of Star Wars, but he's still technically kind of making changes to it <laughs> right behind our backs. <laughs> what did you think about McClunky when you saw it? I laughed. Like, that's all I could do. I, I, what, I, what I'm really wondering, because I did rewind it because I was like, what? Um, what I'm really wondering, though, is, is McClunky going to be a part of the saga Skywalker like movie set coming out at the end of this month. Oh my God. You're right. Is McClunky going to be part of that or be a Disney plus exclusive that that's one of the, like I've seen all the movies hundreds of times. It feels like I'm going to rewatch it on Blu-ray just to see, is he going to go McClunky? (laughs) So I think I have an answer for you. Um, I listened to a podcast, um, called uh i think it's called the sound of movies or something like that and the podcaster interviewed the sound designer and the sound editor um that are currently working at uh, lucasfilm and they were working there when they were making the transition to disney and they said before um before they completely were uh, taken over by Disney, George Lucas was making a few minor changes to the original trilogy again. And um, they approached, George approached them in their office one day and he said to them, hey, before we finalize the 4K edition to give over to Disney later, we're going to make just a few slight changes to the sound. And the sound editor looked at him and he said, is it the haunt shot first scene? <laughs> and George Lucas said he like kind of stopped and like freaked out. Wow. I told you about it. And they were like, no, we just kind of assumed that you would want to do that again. So George <laughs> Lucas, before he sold it to Disney, wanted to make a change one more time. So this was back in 2011 that this change, this McClunky was added in. And the sound designer and editor that they were saying that they, they went through all these old files to find one piece of audio at least one piece of audio that wasn't used from the original trilogy. And they found one word in that Greedo language and it was McClunky. And that <laughs> word had never been used in star Wars yet. So they picked that 
to put in because George wanted a, an exchange from Greedo. And when they, when they were, there wasn't any transition or, um, sorry, there wasn't any word in English transcribed for what McClunky was. So it, only George Lucas knew what it was. And when they asked him what it meant, he was just, he didn't really explain to them. He's just like, oh, oh it, it just means I, I have you now. And then he, he left the room. And then they finished editing it in. And then they sent it off to Disney. And every time they tried to ask him about it thereafter, he wouldn't give them a response. He would laugh it off and walk away. So they don't even know why that he wanted to make the change again. And they still don't know technically what McClunky means. <laughs> but that's a great interview, guys. If any of you want to listen to it, I will leave a link to its description in this podcast and go check it out. It's a very fascinating interview about the people that worked on Star Wars back then and they worked all the way up to the Rise of Skywalker today. These two sound guys and they're brilliant. Talk about the entire process. So that's Han shot first. Who knows? Maybe it's still going to change hereafter. <laughs> Maybe it'll be different in the, the big Skywalker Blu-ray DVD release. I don't know. But... <laughs> That's a that's another big top controversy in Star Wars. The third one, which I think we're both going to have a lot to say about here, is I'm calling it Luke's death um, as, like, I guess the focal point. But really, it's The Last Jedi as a whole in, in a vague way. I think The Last Jedi is one of the top – it's one of the movies that everyone has been really talking about What's the other like biggest um, controversy movie? I would say it's like maybe Passion of the Christ, right? Or um, really a bunch of religious movies. But for some reason, The Last Jedi is one that's really up there for everybody to talk about. And we can go on all day about it. You can talk about what you want. I want to specifically talk about Luke's death. So Luke's death for me, it didn't work for me. It works for a lot of people. I, for one, didn't like the treatment of the character throughout the entire movie. I personally thought it wasn't in line with how this character has acted throughout all the other movies. I thought it was random. It didn't fit. It was kind of felt like a different character. You know, there's that hashtag, not my Luke or whatever. But <laughs> Luke's death was probably the biggest part of that whole movie for me that really bothered me is that the fact that he died you know we spend this whole time trying to get to him and when we do it's not the person we used to know he throws the lightsaber behind his back and that's when that's when all my dreams died <laughs> and as we as we start to i don't know that movie was really focused on luke one reason why it bothers me is it took away the story from ray i believe which it shouldn't have been about luke i really didn't need to see more about luke i got his but they made it about him so they told me to let the past die yet they shoved it in my face and told me to change it and then he died by doing what he is best at and what everyone knows him for which is poetic and beautiful but at the same time it it wasn't executed in the way i'd hoped it's a huge problem i have i've accepted it i i now can like you know watch that talk about it and not get angry <laughs> but luke's death for me in the last jedi was one of the biggest controversies I've had when talking with my friends and other people about this movie. What are some of yours? Is, is Luke Des even one for you? It, it made me tear up. Um, I liked it at the time. Like I'm, I'm one of the people that I'm more okay with last Jedi than most people are. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But like Luke's death, I kind of liked, I did not like what they did to Luke. But with the reasoning and everything that I like, with the more knowledge you grasp through the books and everything, it can grow on you. And like him fearing that he was basically creating the possible rise up of the dark side again. I understood the fear. I don't understand cutting himself off from the force. I don't understand him treating the lightsaber poorly and everything like that. Like, yes, in the rise of Skywalker, they tried to fix that with him as a force ghost. But the, my biggest gripe about Luke's death is he fades off. He, he, he died by fading off and giving into the force um, is the way that I kind of look at it. But Yoda, I know that he's the only other person that's just faded off except for Leia now. But prior to that, it was just Yoda was the only person that their body just faded off. There's yeah. so many things that prove Yoda, though, was a ghost at the time. He, he was Yoda himself was could be theorized as traumatized as well, just like Luke was. Um, but we know Luke was still alive is the difference. Yoda was traumatized and he was living near a Sith artifact, um, not Sith artifact, but basically that strong Sith presence in that cave being right there to hide his force sensitivity. But was it also just that was the dark side of him manipulated into life, but Yoda being still so good, he was still a good guy. It's not like he's evil. Um, right. And then once he finally kind of accepted Luke is the true heir, the true going to save the world, the galaxy, and the Jedi Order, that's when he faded. That Now his purpose for still being around was done. And now he could truly give into the Force and be a Force ghost. But it was almost like he was a phantom at that point. While Luke was still alive and just kind of gave into it in a way that Luke wouldn't do. Luke is my right. favorite character. Luke is my favorite character throughout all of Star Wars. And the the mentality sake of the way they have Luke supposed to act, I understood it. The disrespect towards the things that Luke would love, protect with his life, that I hated. So it was like a weird in between. I totally agree. Conceptually, I love um, every idea that Luke's character could have been in The Last Jedi. Um, however, yes, in addition, in part with this controversy, some things that or other people have spoken on is the fact that his hand doesn't just fall down onto the rocks when he disappears and that it, it disappears with him. Um, I haven't even thought which, about that one. <laughs> <laughs> which led some people to believe in part of this controversy after eight episode eight was that, well, maybe Luke wasn't dead. He just astro projected somewhere else, which we all know was negated back in, um, when the rise of Skywalker came out. But in part with this controversy, he says in the rise of Skywalker as a force ghost, that's no way to treat a lightsaber. Some people would say, well, that's just showing his growth as a character. And other people say, no, that's JJ saying Ryan didn't tell the story. Right. And it's just like closing the door on him. Like, like Ryan closed the door on JJ. So there's tons of different points of view and that's what makes this a controversy and why people talk about it so much. Yeah. And there's so many more with the last Jedi. If any of you guys are list, want to hear more about uh, what I have, what I have to think about the last Jedi, <laughs> then go back and listen. I did two discussions on it and one review and 
with some guests so you get other people's point of view on it. And don't worry, it's not just a hate rant. There's there's some good stuff in there too. So moving on, the fourth main uh, controversy in Star Wars, I think, is has to do with the sequel trilogy, and that's Rey being a Mary Sue. This was a big one when uh, The Force Awakens came out, but even grew even larger once Episode Eight hit the theaters and everyone started hating on it. And that's that people wished there was Ray had maybe not wish she had a weakness, but wished that they could have exploited that weakness in the films a little bit more. I honestly never thought Ray was a Mary Sue after watching Force Awakens. Didn't know what the word meant, didn't really think about it too much really had no points of view on it until I started hearing multiple people talk about it. And then I started to think, okay, I don't consider her a Mary Sue per se, um, because I do think she can be a very good character. I just don't think they've exploited her weaknesses enough. I don't think they've shown us what, what hurts her, what makes her feel. Ray is one of my, is my favorite character of the sequel trilogy. Um, but I do agree that, you know, she is, kind of all powerful and there's nothing she can't do now uh, there's this has been like a big one for the sequel trilogy have you ever put any thought into this whole mary sue concept i have um only in the force awakens i truly felt she was mary sue because there was no reason for her to be good with the lightsaber um if it was a double wielded lightsaber that she started with i would be more so Okay, yeah, she's done a Mary Sue because we saw her with the bow staff and she just without with ease puts Finn on his ass. Like right. with ease. <clears throat> so if it was a double sided lightsaber, I would have been completely on board with it because I always wanted her to end up with a double sided lightsaber, which didn't happen. That that's a gripe. But um <laughs> but basically it's one of those if you are going to train with a lightsaber and go into battle with the first time ever swinging a lightsaber, you're going to tell me you're never going to cut yourself. Like <laughs> going, going into a full on yep. battle that you have never wielded something where just touching your skin will burn it. And you're not going to touch yourself and you're going to get somebody who's been trained, trained by Luke sparred with other younglings. Um, there's so many things that say that Ray should have just honestly been dead or captured or something than what happened. Um, I get it in the Star Wars universe. It, it kind of feels like um, because Luke was a great pilot, just kind of like born into it. So it seems a lot like skills are hereditary in the Star Wars universe a little bit. Yeah. Um, so like, and Palpatine, we've only seen him wield a lightsaber in Clone Wars, and now he took on um, Savage and Maul at once, um, and he easily handled them. Finished off Savage, and I believe captured Maul at the end? Yes. Um, yeah. So, if it's hereditary, I, I see it, but why is she a good pilot? Right. It's more than just the term Mary Sue. It is hereditary because it was also heavily talked about who is Ray's parents? Where does she come from? What what is she? I mean, where but, then why, but why was she a good pilot then? Because Palpatine we have never seen in history. Um, he was born into a rich family. 
um, throughout history of just Palpatine that we know that is canon. He has always been rich. He has always had somebody flying for him. Why yep. was she just flying the Millennium Falcon as if it, she'd been doing it since she was two? <laughs> exactly. So there's there's issues that I have there where like yes, very much Mary Sue, but also in the later movies, I feel that there was training. The one movie that I really feel like she wasn't, <clears throat> she stepped the most distance away from Mary Sue was the Rise of Skywalker. That because that was like she was defeated. She, I, I truly did feel in that one that like where is the hope in this kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah, you're right. Like how Palpatine was the one to, you know, take her down. And I guess you could also say one of her biggest weaknesses is Kylo Ren, because in every movie, Kylo Ren has always been the better swordsman. And especially the rise of Skywalker when they're fighting on the trench of the Death Star and she is out of breath. She's exhausted and falling down and he's still standing strong and he's not even really trying because you can see it in his in his poise that he's. He's just he's just defending it. He's just blocking every hit. He's not actually trying to go for her, which the only opens up. She wins is Leia. <laughs> exactly. So, and that's why Leia is the greatest of them all. So, <laughs> Re- Leia is the Mary Sue. Just kidding, guys. <laughs> don't don't hate me for that. So yeah, Ray is a Mary Sue. What do you guys have to say about that? So the fifth main topic. We got two more here about top Star Wars controversies. The fifth one might. Not be what you expect, but I put it in here because I was thinking about the time period that this movie came out, and that is The Empire Strikes Back. And it was when this line was given to Luke in Bespin Tower before he fell and lost his hand, and that was, I am your father. This may not sound like it is a controversy, but if you think about the time period this movie came out at, a lot of people thought Vader was lying. And then after they find out that he wasn't lying, they felt, well, well, it was, then Ben was lying. Obi-Wan Kenobi was lying. And then a lot of people actually maybe didn't even like the fact that Luke or uh, Vader was Luke's father to begin with. I'm sure at the time, if it was like today with social media and everything, they would say that it's bad storytelling. It wasn't planned out just like we are today with the sequels. But one thing I think about, if I was alive during the time, of Empire Strikes Back, and I saw that for the first time in theaters, I would, of course, be shocked. But I honestly think I would have sat on it for a little while and been like, I don't believe him at all. And We didn't have the luxury of having that experience because we had Return of the Jedi. But if I put myself in that position, I would not have believed it at all. I would have thought it was a lie. And that's why I wanted to talk about it because... If that happened today, that would be such a fascinating reveal. And, of course, it's regarded as one of the greatest twists and reveals of all time in movie history. And uh, partially what... Always misquoted. Always misquoted. You noticed (laughs) I I didn't say Luke when I I, I quoted it. You said it it right. (laughs) What's interesting, though, I found... There's this video on YouTube, and it says... It's like audience reaction to um, Empire Strikes Back like a 1980 theater recorded audio. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought they recorded that. So I went back and listened to it. And in that recording, someone edited it. So it says, no, Luke, I am your father. And then it's some random audience like reacting to it. So it's fake, guys. It's fake. 
that's part of the controversy too. Don't believe any YouTube video you see online because what is it, Dean? What's the original quote? No, I am your father. <laughs> Boom. So it can be applied but, to anybody. But basically, um, the only ones that you can um, watch are the ones about kids, which I plan on doing <laughs> that with my kids because I reacted because I did not know. If you get your kids to watch it at a young enough age, mm-hmm. you can get them to watch four, then make them watch five. Not make, get them to. <laughs> get them to. to um, and then you can actually see the reaction because you can go and watch kids' reactions where, like, they were young kids and they waited till they were the same age so they would watch it, like, together. Like, it's a older sister and brother. I don't know if you've seen this one. And their jaws just drop. It's adorable. It makes you laugh. And it's like you actually got to see like how it happened. Like, and then the daughter turns to the dad and starts asking, "No, that's not real, is it?" <laughs> I love watching reactions to that scene. It's it's pretty great. And it always starts with like the reveal, and then whoever's viewing it is always like silent for a brief second, yep. and then there's what <laughs> they're, they're processing, and then. Boom. Oh, that's what he's why? Then um the the one thing that see I, I get why people were upset about it back then, but at the same time I know that now now we know, but it's so pivotal to just the storyline, even like in Star Wars today, like the ending of The Rise of Skywalker when it was Ray Strike Me Down. Um, in the book, it says, Ray, strike me down. And then you don't have, um, once Luke tried doing the same, but he had his father to save him in the return of the Jedi. because obviously Vader's going to be knowledgeable in the Sith ways. So he knows striking down and everything passes to him. So could we have said the same that if Vader didn't block Luke from striking down, um, Palpatine? would Luke have become the emperor actually? That's Since so true. It, it was the same like this. It wasn't that did Vader already save Luke by doing that block. And it's so pivotal today of that father son relationship where if that wasn't there, they, there wouldn't be all these other things that could have happened. Now I do wish that they would have touched more on it and not, they, they would have gone more of it more over it after um, he announced that, like give another five minutes on that topic of like, basically like, no, the Sith killed the Jedi formerly known as Anakin or something like that. Like joining the Sith mm-hmm. did something where it was like yeah. kind of, I don't know. I can't think of the word that I'm looking for, but like almost in spirit that happened. Yeah. Yeah. That just reminds me of that that reveal in the rise of Skywalker when they find out that, you know, you're a Palpatine or whatever. And then later on when Ray arrives on Exegol and Palpatine's just like my grandchild. (laughs) (laughs) I, I laughed so hard at that. It was just so funny. So that's, that's the, um, I'm your father, you know, that regarded as one of the, the best, scenes reveals twists in movie history and you know who we have to thank for that not george lucas not <laughs> urban kirshner not even larry caston but actually this woman named leah brackett and she was one of the original 
Penn's woman for uh, the script of The Empire Strikes Back, and she decided it'd be a really interesting move to make the villain of this series the father of its protagonist. And she died uh, a long time ago, shortly after, I think, writing the script for Empire. So it would have been really nice to have her touch on something like Return of the Jedi thereafter. But um, keep adding that... more to my little George Lucas thing. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to know more about Lay Brackett, please go back and listen to my Females of the Force episode. It's one of the earlier episodes in this podcast, but we talk a little bit about her along with some other fantastic females who have helped make Star Wars great. So the last top controversy we're going to talk about here is the one you've all been waiting to hear me talk about because I know it's in the back of your mind. But it is, drumroll, Mr. Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar Forkin Binks. We could, we could start a whole new episode right now just talking about Jar Jar. <laughs> 1999, The Phantom Menace, this little Gungan, big-eared, flappity-mouthed Gungan, who it sparks so many different controversies. One of which is the race topic, right? <laughs> is Jar Jar racist <laughs> towards either Jamaican or black or any kind of foreign person or Pacific Islander? The other thing is that it just one for one ruined Star Wars, and today it's regarded as a terrible CGI animation. But at the time it was great, and George Lucas himself has stated that. The reason why The Phantom Menace won't work is if Jar Jar Binks doesn't work. <laughs> Partially, he was correct. Now, as a kid, Jar Jar Binks was actually a favorite phenomenal. of mine. I yeah, love Jar Jar Binks. I thought he was hilarious. I, he was one of the first toys I got from The Phantom Menace line of, of action figures. And he went everywhere with me, along with Darth Vader. So in those early days, too, I had speculated that Jar Jar Binks was a Sith the whole time. <laughs> Yet another controversy about Jar Jar. I don't know. What are some There we go. Episode things? 10. Episode 10 right there. <laughs> that's why the in The Jar Force Jar Awakens. That's why, the, <laughs> that's why in Force Awakens, Disney didn't let J.J. put the Jar Jar Gungan head like as a skull. <laughs> Is because he's the next Lord, like Sith Lord. There it is. I forgot about that. That we just been, debunked I it. I wish that. Happened. Yep, there it is. <laughs> yeah, him and Owen Lars. Don't forget about Owen. They were yep. together. I don't know. So you liked Jar Jar too at the beginning when as, we were kids. As a kid, and then as I got older, and it was just I used to like this guy. Then it was older, and then it was like, oh, get off the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, you're right. You know, I actually do enjoy a lot of The Phantom Menace, especially the pod race scene. I think it's one of the greatest uh, achievements in uh, filmmaking at all as far as, like, miniatures and uh, effects go. And uh, I just really love that scene. But every time it intercuts with something with Jar Jar, it ruins that that sequence for me. Yep. And so you're right. At the time, it was like, oh, Misa like a Jar Jar. And now it's just kind of like, oh, my God, you're so Forking annoying. But yeah. one thing that I will commend Jar Jar Binks for is um, the animation. The animators at the time were doing something very unique and special. And they created the very first um, motion capture, fully animated 
CGI character to screen. And it was also done on film, on the film medium. Phantom Menace, for a lot of people forget, was shot on 35 millimeter film. So not only were these people creating this new digital uh, stamp in its evolution, but they were also adapting it to the film medium. Later, they did it on digital, but I think it's a great achievement. You can watch tons of behind-the-scenes stuff on this stuff, and and um, one of the animators for Jar Jar Binks, one of the creators, um, another woman, uh, another female of the Force, and we talk about her in that one of those later episodes, too. Um, but there, there was a lot of work, a lot of effort put in, and at the time, it was a really great achievement, but it was shadowed by its annoyance and its poop humor and <laughs> fart jokes, and it it just didn't work for you the time. Smell like doo doo. Oh my god! <laughs> have you have you seen those Screen Rant um, fake pitch meeting videos? Yes. So the one with the Phantom Menace, the guy's like talking. He's like, then we're gonna have Jar Jar Binks come in, and he oh he has no relevance to the story. He's just gonna be really annoying, and the <laughs> producer's like, yeah, but like then why have him in here? And then the guy was like, and then he's going to step in poo. And then the guy was like, this is great. This is solid. This is gold. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, have and you seen right the one with, um, about Vader after the rise of Skywalker? The, walk, the pitch meeting thing. It's not a, it's a little skit, I think by warp zone. No, I haven't. What is it? And he basically walks in and he goes, he's like, got a, um, lay on him and like, as if he's ready to like retire and go on vacation. He goes, the rise of Skywalker's done. We did it. Like, I'm done. And then they go, no, 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 no. See, you don't get older. You're just a mask. You're here for life. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Another controversy. <laughs> I don't know, man. There's there's tons to say about Jar Jar Binks. Everyone go, like, let me know what you think. Um, the, it's also a great time for me to tell you about how, like, you know, there's every time I have a guest on here, they share their Star Wars story and it helps bring the the theme of this podcast to life, which is figuring out what makes Star Wars iconic. And the fact that we can have these conversations about controversies is one of those things, I believe, because it's such a huge impact on our culture. And it when you think about the the small things in life that almost made Star Wars not come to life it is really beautiful. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can listen to my episode on the life of George Lucas based on the book that came out a few years ago. And it talks about how close Star Wars was to almost not being made. Not just one time, not just two times, but many, many times, at least 10. And we can go over that some other time. Um, Are there any other controversies that you thought of while we were talking that just came to mind that you just want to honorably drop down? Thought of a few, but I lost them. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I there's tons, and you, there, yeah, yeah. Since we're kind of still on Jar Jar, what would you do if they actually did move forward with like episode ten as our little joke that we just made? What if Jar Jar was the main villain going through ten, eleven, twelve? What would you do? That's so tough, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, for one, I'm very like. Would he, would he be the same character? Or would I, he, like, if, flip a switch like Palpatine? If he is going to be a villain, in my opinion, it would be, like, one of those movies, like, um, or TV shows, like Naruto. Um, I don't know if you watch that, but how, like, Toby flips a switch and, like, he's stupid in public. 
But then all of a sudden, like, when he's in, like, the den of the bad guys, he's, like, the guy. Like, he's the villain and everything else. If he was like that. Yeah. So I can like that. Like, everything was a facade. It was an alias. Jar Jar Binks was an alias. But really, he's Darth Jar Jar. (laughs) And that's when a real voice comes out. Maybe a little distorted, darker. Um, but but he just, but he still no has more to talk poop. the same. He still has to talk the same, uh, same speech and everything, because that is the way Gungans talk. Still has to talk that way, because that's just the Gungans with the way well, they talk. Well, then, yeah, uh, Dean, I'm I'm done with Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't think I can see myself getting through that. But you know, Jar Jar is coming back, right? He's going to be there. Disney Plus is doing a, TV, a kids TV show, like a reality game yeah. show. And Jar Jar Binks is the host. No. And Ahmed no. Best is reprising his role no. as Jar Jar Binks. No. It's real. It's called no. like Jedi Temple Run or something. No. No. And I'm okay. going to tie your ass to a chair and make you watch it. I'm a good. Loop. I'll stay on my coast then. <laughs> Well, that's Jar Jar Binks for you guys. Those are the six main top Star Wars controversies. There's more. There will be more because we're going to continue to make Star Wars movies. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Dean, for coming on. We'll have you in again some other time, too. Um, Where can people find your social medias? So I'm a game collector. So my name is The Collectionist, but you can find me at Switch Dean. I game on the Nintendo Switch a lot, so basically spelled like that. Are you playing Animal Crossing? Some. Not really my solid game. I'm trying it out. It's my first time trying it. Um, for me, yeah. it's been Doom. That's what I've been putting my time into right now. Okay. Very cool. <laughs> my girlfriend's obsessed with uh, Animal Crossing. Um, and you all know where to find me, at Huntalks First. That's Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, everywhere to get updates. And also check out the Patreon page if you want to show some additional extra support to help us keep the podcast going. Um, thank you, Anchor, for sponsoring this episode. And guys, let us know your Star Wars story and share your top controversy. And now, somehow, some way, somewhere, this week, may the Force be with you.